Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. He Hello, I'm Simon Morris. As we approach the zenith of the movie awards season, the Oscars next month, the general consensus among critics, professional and self-appointed, is that 2023-24 has been a banner year for quality films. Anatomy of a Fall, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, The Holdovers, Past Lives, Barbie and Poor Things. Even if you don't like all of them, you can't deny they're well-made, individual and often entertaining. I am finding being alive fascinating. Bella. Why I keep it in my mouth if it is revolting? (laughs) I must go punch that baby. This week we finally see one of the most acclaimed of the Oscar finalists, The Harrowing Zone of Interest, directed by Jonathan Glazer. It's brilliant, but it underlines the fact that many currently respected movie directors do tend to be quite serious. Christopher Nolan, Martin Scorsese, Anatomy of a Fall's Justin Trier. Not a lot of laughs among that lot. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. You had a fight the day before he died. You need to start seeing yourself the way others are going to perceive you. Comedy directors do jokes, drama directors don't, it seems. Well, it wasn't always that way. Many of the best filmmakers could mix up comedy and drama, sweet and sour. And I don't just mean golden age entertainers like Hitchcock, Howard Hawks and the great Billy Wilder. It is so drafty. They must be catching cold all the time, huh? Will you quit stalling? We're going to miss the train. I feel naked. feel like everybody's staring at me. With those legs, are you crazy? Now, come on. I think of early Spielberg and Tarantino, Danny Boyle, even David Fincher. Not to mention Shakespeare, who routinely blended comedy with his drama and vice versa. But is anyone mixing it up similarly these days? Dark realism. The problems that confront the average man. But with a little sex. A little, but I don't want to stress it. I want this picture to be a document. I want to hold a mirror up to life. I want this to be a picture of dignity. A true canvas of the suffering of humanity. But with a little sex. With a little sex in it. The names that mostly leak to mind as far as waving the flag for comedy drama are the Coen brothers, Ethan and Joel, who've been keeping up the sweet and sour tradition of Billy Wilder pretty much single-handedly for nearly 40 years now. How you doing, son? Name's Everett. These two soggy sons of bitches are uh, Pete and Delmer. Keep your fingers away from Pete's mouth. He ain't had nothing to eat for 13 years except prison food, gopher, and a little greasy horse. Billy Wilder famously used to say that he didn't know whether he was writing a comedy or a drama until he got to the end of the script. In a sweet mood, he'd make comic masterpieces like Some Like It Hot or The Apartment. In a bitter one, he'd make Sunset Boulevard or The Lost Weekend. Matt, weave me another. Better take it easy. No, don't worry about me. Just let me know when it's a quarter of six. Okay. Come on, Matt, join me. One little jigger of dreams, huh? No, thanks. You don't approve of drinking? Not the way you drink. 
Joel and Ethan Cohen usually never went that dark until they temporarily split up a couple of years ago. Joel made a film noir version of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Ethan's gone in the other direction, a lesbian romp called Drive Away Dolls. We gotta call the cops. Cool your guests. Here's what we do. Sell it back, shake them down. That is about the dumbest thing I've ever heard, and I'm a cop. Also this week, they say that if you haven't got much money, the best thing a young director can do is make a horror film. Nobody ever went broke with a scary movie like Baghead, they say. I'm going to kill you. You can't kill her. Well, maybe they're right. There was certainly an audience when I went to Baghead, despite generally poor reviews. But first, this week's undeniable class act, The Zone of Interest. Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest managed a rare double at the recent BAFTA Awards, both outstanding British film and best film not in the English language. Set in Poland and performed entirely in German, it was based on a novel by Martin Amis. Very loosely based on Amos's novel, writer-director Glazer has stripped it of most of its plot, so all that's left is its nightmare wartime setting. It entirely takes place at the home of the Hoss family, husband Rudolf, wife Hedwig, and their four or five well-behaved children. The family has done very well for themselves. Army officer Rudolf has secured a plum job and it shows. Wife Hedwig has turned their house and garden into a showcase for any visitors. It's even got a swimming pool. A wall separates the garden from Rudolf Hoss's work, the Auschwitz concentration camp where he's the commandant. There are two narratives in place. What we see is the happy domestic life of the Hoss family. And in the background, unseen, only heard, is the sound of terror. There are sudden, distant gunshots. There are muted cries from the inmates. There's the constant noise of machinery, the efficient infrastructure of the Nazi regime that enabled the Holocaust. This is hardly a new story, of course, but it's usually from the point of view of the victims. The perpetrators are shadowy monsters at the side of the picture. Not this time. There they are, basking in the sunlight, seemingly oblivious. But of course they're not. Where did the fur coat come from? Who are the unpaid gardeners?
What makes the zone of interest impossible to shake off is how it makes undeniable evils seem somehow normal. Just as inner-city dwellers no longer hear the constant noise of traffic, the Hoss family have long since stopped looking or listening. The film was shot in a way that accentuates the impersonal. Cameras were hidden all over the house and grounds. No lights, no visible microphones, not even a film crew. It was shot remotely from behind the wall. Visitors called, salesmen from an appliance firm showing the latest, more efficient incinerator. The kids have their friends over, presumably the offspring of other Auschwitz officers. One outsider, Hedwig's mother, comes in to admire the family home and how far her daughters come up in the world. She's the only one to notice and comment on the wall to the camp, idly wondering whether the woman she used to clean for is in there now. Das hier ist die Mauer vom Lager. Ja, ja, das ist die Lagermauer. Also da haben wir auch noch Wein geplant, damit das zuwächst, damit man das nicht mehr so sieht. Vielleicht ist ja Esther Siffermann dort drüben. Wer war das nochmal? Die, für die ich geputzt habe. We keep waiting for their comeuppance when they're finally forced to confront what they've done. And it never comes, at least not in the way we're expecting. That would imply that these people are different. They're monsters. They're not us. But writer-director Jonathan Glazer has no intention of letting us off the hook. The performances, particularly Anatomy of a Fall's Sandra Hüller as Hedwig, are brilliantly normal. Who wouldn't do this, they seem to ask. It's just a job. Look at the benefits. The only overt criticism in the zone of interest comes from the music of Mika Levy, which starts unsettling and ends terrifying and hellish. How could anyone live through this, it demands? Which, of course, is the message of every movie ever made about the Holocaust. It goes without saying that not every movie is going to be a timeless classic, one that wins countless awards and makes stars of everyone involved in it. Everyone involved in Baghead, for instance, probably glanced up during the table read of the script and silently agreed it's six weeks' work. Let's get through it and hope for better luck next time. We are not safe here. How do I control her? This isn't something you can control. Baghead is actually director Alberto Corridor's second crack at it. It was originally a short film that did rather well at various horror film festivals around the world. The temptation was clearly to make a grown-up feature film of it. A temptation he should have resisted, perhaps. My dad, he died. I'm the solicitor of your father's estate. My dad owned this place.
What works in a short, no room for too much exposition or even logic, falls to pieces the longer you linger on it. We meet Iris, currently between jobs, who's surprised when her long-estranged dad dies, leaving her in charge of a deserted hotel called the Queen's Head. I don't have any memories with him. This is all I have right now. If you're watching this, then I'm already dead. But there's a string attached. Well, not so much a string as a length of videotape. Dad, played, of all people, by Peter Mullen, has recorded a cryptic set of instructions. Wouldn't it have been easier to write a letter? She's tied to the property. And now that your name is on the title deeds, you're her guardian. You can't escape this place now. The phrase, wouldn't it be easier, happens so often in Baghead that after a while you want to grab the keyboard off the scriptwriter and do the next draft yourself. OK, Iris goes to the spooky old building. Oh, and invites her best friend Katie to come down and join her. This property comes with a special tenant. You're the one thing that stands between her and the outside world. You're joking. Wouldn't it have been easier if they'd gone down together? No matter, Katie eventually arrives. She's brought up to speed about how there's someone or something or whatever lurking in the basement. What is that? Come out, come out, wherever you are. Iris unwisely pokes at the sinister hole in the wall with a stick. Nothing much happens apart from loud, scary noises. Katie, watching from a safe distance, speaks for all of us at this stage. Iris. We shouldn't be here. Now, if your test of a scary movie is a few unpleasant jumps, then Baghead certainly passes that, though mostly it's because of sudden sound effects rather than anything substantial. For instance, Mr Sound Effects goes for broke when suddenly who should appear but a chap called Neil. I want to see it. Money's really no object. That's right, not a ghastly monster, just a normal-looking chap called Neil. Wouldn't it have been easier if he'd knocked at the door first? Anyway, Neil's here to see the entity downstairs, an entity, we're told, that can conjure up the dead. I want to talk to my wife. She only gives you two minutes. After that, she's in control. The entity, let's not shilly-shally any longer, is a woman, or entity in woman's form, maybe. Anyway, someone with a bag over her head. You make a deal with Ms Baghead, or her agent Iris, and she miraculously turns into a late loved one for two minutes. Neil gives Iris money as an entrance fee, and we wait for the Baghead to do its, her, his or their stuff. What's going on? And the cast and crew take their own money with a mental note to keep quiet about Baghead on their CVs. Star Freya Allen went back to her day job, TV series The Witcher, while Peter Mullen took off to New Zealand to make the rather better after the party. As I say, better luck next time. You cannot let her out of the basement.
is one of the great romantic comedy clichés, two on the run, one serious and uptight, the other a lovable loose unit. Not just romances, of course. Odd couples have worked in films as diverse as Midnight Run, Thelma and Louise, The Green Book and even Star Wars in a certain light. But it works best in a romance, particularly a screwball comedy romance like Drive Away Dolls. I'm leaving town. I am too. That was my plan. Where are you going? Tallahassee, Florida. I've been unhappy. That's why we take this trip together, honey babe. We get our act together together. Mind you, this isn't your standard 30s Hollywood screwball comedy. The first thing you notice, literally, is apparently graphic lesbian sex. Though it doesn't show quite as much as you think, thanks to expert directing and editing by expert husband and wife directors and editors, Ethan Cohen and Trisha Cook. Hello, girls! It's the last body shot competition, so we are going to salt you up. I've had it with love. I don't believe it's relevant to the 21st century lesbian. Meet Jamie, played by a delightfully screwball Margaret Qualley, who we pick up at a lesbian bar, getting a bit sick of the screwball life. She'd arranged to meet her uptight best friend Marion there, Geraldine Viswanath, who I didn't know but can't wait to see again in something else. No. What? No. No what, Carla? You're not wearing that. I just came from work. I came from Toledo. I don't dress like it. Is Jamie here? Okay, look, keep the coat on, take the shirt off underneath. And flaunt my breasts. I'm not here to peddle my wares. Why else would you be here? To socialize. We need to get them on the road, which happens when Jamie tells Marion the cheap way to get down to Florida. Pick up a drive-away car from a place like Curly's. Curly's Drive-Away, Pennsylvania's most trusted name in car delivery. Curly here. Don't call me Curly. And... Your name, Curly? My name is Curly. We just met. It's too familiar. But there's a twist. Of course there is. They accidentally pick up the wrong car, a car that had been booked by a trio of incompetent Cohen Brothers goons to carry a mysterious package to a mysterious client. The leader of the goons, the popular Coleman Domingo, tells Curly where he's gone wrong. We're here for the car. Wait a minute. You call with a drop-off in Tallahassee, and then these broads come in and say they're ready to go to Tallahassee. They drive the car instead of you. Is that bad? Bad if they find the goods. Jamie and Marion, happily unaware in their drive-away car, head off to Florida while the three goons look for information about the girls from their friends, including Suki, the angry cop, played by Booksmart's Beanie Feldstein. Suzanne Schinkelman? Suzanne Schinkelman? Who the f are you? Since when do women curse like that? You know Jamie Dobbs? Oh. Should have known it was about that. And Mary Pallavi? You, you shouldn't do that. He can't fight back. He can't hit a girl. He's old school. One mark of a Cohen movie, albeit technically half a Cohen movie since Brother Joel isn't involved in Drive Away Dolls, is expert writing. There's not an unnecessary word in the film. Another mark is terrific casting, a dynamite blend of great new faces and bit parts from the likes of Matt Damon, Pedro Pascal and Miley Cyrus as a hippie plastercaster. Are you? Save the sanctimony and hand over the million smackers. 
But this is also a Trisha Cook movie. She edited many of the Coen brothers' best movies, but more to the point, she's set out to make a full-on lesbian movie that's neither too serious nor earnestly mopey. It's absolutely hilarious, with nods to the flat-out comedies of Ethan Coen's past, but also their screwball forerunners. You cannot relate to the public, which in the service profession is a big handicap. Did the two creeps find you? They know we have their stuff. Maybe we sell it back, shake them down. Are they like wanted or something? Oh no, they're not in trouble at all. Frank Capra's It Happened One Night leaps to mind. So does Preston Sturgis's Sullivan's Travels, and particularly Billy Wilder's Some Like It Hot with its Florida setting, its all-girl football team, and its inept gangsters on their tail. I understand that you're unhappy, sir. We will find and deliver the package. We just want your friends. Though instead of one Marilyn Monroe, there are now two doing double duty as best friends and would-be romantic couple. It all hinges on one unlikely MacGuffin borrowed from Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. What's in the box, we wonder? Don't touch it. I saw this movie once where they come across this box. (gasps) And they open the box. The case. And it was like really, really bad. I could tell you it's something QT wouldn't have thought up, or even if he had thought it up, wouldn't have pushed as far as Cohen and Cook do here. But that's what occasionally happens when you ask a woman to do a job usually done by a man. What? We should see what's in here. I bet it's locked. It's possibly not a movie for all tastes, though I'm not so sure. When I first heard about the film, originally called Drive Away Dykes, I blanched somewhat, wondering what was I getting myself into? But I'm sure 1958 audiences felt the same way going into the potentially tasteless but subsequently classic Some Like It Hot. Who are you? Democrats. Mind if we sit down? Are they all there? Count them. Like that film, the correct reaction is don't worry about it. Is drive-away dolls perfect? Of course not. Nobody's perfect, as we all know. But it is the best surprise party of the year, and it's also likely to do rather more good than its earnest rivals. Turns out they do make them like they used to if you know where to look. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.